A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Word of warning this episode contains strong language from the start. The internet's gone down! Honestly, fucking Richard Branson, suck a dick. What a pile of shit. I don't know why we pay Virgin. Why are we paying them? These people are taking the piss. Come on, you absolute cocksucker. This network could not be found. I want to shoot myself in the face. Hello, my name is Annie McManus. Welcome to Changes. You just heard the best reaction ever to an interview over Zoom being interrupted by terrible internet. We have all been there at some point. Thankfully, Jen Brister just does not hold back with her frustrations and the audio was still recording, so we didn't lose this at the time. Let's have some again, shall we? Honestly, fucking Richard Branson, suck a dick. (laughs) Too good. We love Jen Brister. That is our guest this week, a woman who describes herself as a stand-up comedian, writer, actor and dickhead. She is a regular on UK TV, having performed on Live at the Apollo, Frankie Boyle's New World Order, Mock the Week, QI, Hypothetical and Sarah Pascoe's comedy lectures on Dave. Her sellout show Meaningless can be streamed on Amazon Prime. Jen is currently touring her show The Optimist, which The Guardian described as expertly calibrated crabbiness and said no one rages against the world better. On the week of International Women's Day, it also seems apt to speak to a female comedian who is a mother to twin boys with her partner Chloe. She describes herself as the other mother, the non-biological mum, and in her comedy manages to make parenting and the reality of two women bringing up two boys absolutely hilarious. One clip on Instagram about the differences in mother-son relationships compared to mothers and daughters has racked up over 30 million plays alone. Jen also has a brilliant weekly podcast called Women Talking Bollocks with her two comedian friends, Maureen Younger and Alison June Smith. There's lots of recommendations on there, lots of exasperated ranting about life. It's very relatable and very fun, as is this conversation. We talk about parenting, porn and children, success in your 40s, and a word of warning if you've lost someone recently, we do touch on grief as well. This is such an inspiring conversation in lots of ways for persevering with your dreams, for being a woman in your 40s, having a successful career, for being a working mother, and also for healthy anger, which after our Gabor Mate episode, we know is very important. Jen Brister is all about healthy anger and we love her for it. This was such a joy. Welcome to Changes, Jen Brister. So the show is The Optimist. Yeah, yeah, it says, that's the show. Um, it's about your being a bit of a prick and needing to, needing to find reasons <laughs> to be optimistic. That's your words, not mine. Um, so how's it going? And are you feeling more optimistic as a, as a result of doing this tour? No, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I think, I think doing the tour has made me feel a bit optimistic because people are so nice like the people that are coming to my shows are just lovely and they're on the and predominantly on the same wavelength as me and it just feels nice to be in a room full of people that are like yeah we all agree right yeah yeah we all yeah. agree that this is messed up we're on the yeah. same page yeah so yeah on in, in that in that regard it's made me realize do you know what 
Brista, you're not alone. There are other people that are as as livid as you are with the the way things are at the moment. So, but generally speaking, um, probably not. <laughs> How is it being a comedian in 2023? <laughs> well, it's oh God, because it's a mad time, isn't it? It with, is a mad like, time. It's a mad time to be a comedian in many ways because people have opinions. People yeah. like to tell you what they think about you as a person, what you're doing, who you are, what they like, what they hate. And obviously I'm of an age where I remember a time when you would have an opinion and literally no one else knew about it. But yeah. it seems that those days are gone. So in that regard, it's weird. You mm. better be absolutely brilliant because there's mm. going to be people that have already made a decision that you're not going to be very good. For no other reason other than the fact that you are a woman. And yeah. so it does mean that you are, whether you are aware of it or not, you are more driven. You are more single-minded because there are more hoops to jump through and and obstacles to like get around. So you don't take your success for granted. Do you think you're underrated because you're a woman? I think I was. Mm. And I actually really liked that. <laughs> because because audiences would um, underestimate me. Mm. And so there would be always a sort of, like, almost an intake of disappointment when I walked on stage. And I would really enjoy that. I'd be like, yeah. oh, you think I'm not going to be very good. Okay. So I can only be brilliant now because you've yeah, already yeah, yeah. decided. So you've actually made my job easier in many ways. Yeah. Well, listen, let's figure out the gen that walks out on stage and goes, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong, guys, and, and find out where all that comes from. When did you first realise that you had the capacity to make people laugh? I think, like most comics, when I was a kid, I like to try and fit in and to try and make people like me, you know, yeah. and I, I could use comedy for that. And I think I, I was aware of that quite early on as a child, definitely. Where were you in your childhood? What was your family life like, mum and dad? Did you have siblings? What was going on? Yeah, I've got three brothers. And so we all... Oh, all, wow. Yeah, so we all tried to make each other laugh. And where do you come in that chronology? Of I'm the second. I'm number right. two. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we did all try to make each other laugh. My mum was very invested in our jokes. Like, she was the easiest audience in the world. She would always laugh. Growing up as kids, I, I realise now, because I, I just thought everyone was like this, we were obsessed with, with watching, you know, The Young Ones or Not the Nine O'Clock News or Blackadder, French and Saunders. Oh, wow. We were just, you yeah. know, Hugh and Laurie. We were just obsessed. And we would watch all of it and then we would memorise it and then we would quote it back to each other. Right. Like parrots. <laughs> Badly, really badly. So comedy was kind of just there, present in our home. Yeah. But not in a way that I that was ever, certainly I ever thought, oh, well, that's a career or that's a job I, mm. I will end up doing or I would like mm. to do. Yeah. What was your memories of school, primary school? Like, did you like that or was that a... I did. I went to a private primary school. My mum yeah. was, you know, she's Spanish, so was yeah. sort of obsessed with um, education. She didn't finish school, so she left school when she was 14, I think, or 13. So we went to a primary private school and it was really, really tiny. So there was only like, in my class, there were like 15 kids. I mean, wow. like, you know, I know, so ridiculous mm. that's what privilege is yeah so I, I, I from my memory I really liked primary school and then I went to a comprehensive secondary school and I absolutely hated it but just because it was a catholic convent very 
oppressive I felt and um, they didn't like me there. I don't know if I was lippy, but I think I was curious and I used to ask a lot of questions and I, you know, if somebody said something, I'd go, oh, okay, can I ask? Da-da? And they were like, stop asking questions. Yeah. And then I'd be like, oh, okay, I thought this was school, fine. And yeah, I just got into trouble. Oh, and and I, and because I was the, because I was quite loud. Right. I think. Do you think you were? just assumed I was a troublemaker. Telling jokes in class as well. Was it, was that kind of? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I was de- I was definitely trying to tell jokes and cuss. I was probably trying to make the teacher laugh. Yeah. I was probably trying to do all of that. And I imagine it was really bloody irritating. But I certainly <laughs> wasn't doing it in a way to piss anyone off. It was just me trying to like really deludedly try to, you know, fit in and uh, yeah, no, it totally backfired. And so school ended up being a complete hellhole for me. I absolutely mm. hated it. So everybody who was going to stay stayed and I left and I went to uh, Richmond College and it was the best decision I ever made. Really? I, st- I suddenly enjoyed education again. And Jen, was that your decision to go to that sixth form college? Did you say, yeah. oh, I'm out of here, I want to go? So that was you having agency, making a choice for yourself and going, I know that I don't want to stay here, I, I need to do this different thing. Yeah, and my mum knew. She was like, they don't like you. You've got to get out of there as well. Right. So I was like, so great. So she didn't, yeah. yeah. Being able to have that decision, being allowed to make that decision was really important, I realised, for me to be able to go somewhere where I didn't know anyone. And rather than being scared of it, I was really excited by it. I was like, great, nobody here knows me. Mm. So nobody thinks I'm this dick or I'm this loud person or I'm a troublemaker. Mm. I'm just a new girl in a new college. It just meant I could reinvent myself. And it was probably... The first time I did that, and I have continued to do that my entire life, you know. But that was the catalyst, definitely. Amazing. So that you would cite that as a big change in terms of you being a child. That is kind of impactful. Oh, definitely. Because when you're at school or when you're a child, you think, well, this is it. And nothing, and this is always going to be it. And this is always who I will be. And this is always who I am. And I can't change things. Things will never get better. And then being able to make that break and have that change made, I suppose, because, you know, you're only 16 and you, you think you're a grown up, but you're not, you're a kid, mm. made me realise, oh, no, no, that's, things are, things are different. Yeah. And, and if I don't like something, I can leave. Yeah. Great. You then went on to study comedy. Which is, I mean, remarkable. I didn't even think you could do that at like third level education. Yeah, it was a degree at uh, Middlesex University. It had this great theatre degree and you could do stand up. And I had watched a documentary on Channel 4 about it. And I was like, I, I got to go there. I want to yeah. go there. So at that point, you knew enough about yourself to know that you wanted to give stand up a go. Yeah, but not in a way that I wanted to do it as a job. Yeah, but in a way curious. that I was... Yeah, I was like, yeah. I'd, I'd love to just do that once. Got what would you. that be like? In my head, I was like, if I could do that, then I guess I can do anything. So can we talk about, and, and you'll have to give me some context leading up to this point, but there was a point where you made the change to like properly go for being a stand-up comedian. What was the lead up to that? Like, what had you been doing up to that point to then make that change, if you know what I mean? Basically, I had been doing stand-up for quite some time on and off. Yeah. But I hadn't committed to it. Right. And I had been doing other things. Like I had been doing sketch comedy, a bit of character comedy. I had um, taken a sketch show to the Edinburgh Festival, got briefly some work, doing right. cover work at Six Music as a presenter. That's not my forte. 
but yeah. um, it was an opportunity and I yeah, took yeah, it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. it's it's, a, yeah. it's not an easy job to do and I mm. proved that um, when I did it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I did that for a bit. And so basically I, I wasn't progressing and I wasn't moving. So everyone I had started with was already right. full-time. They were working as comedians. They were either absolutely smashing it on the club circuit or they'd broken into TV and I was absolutely nowhere. My mum was like, what are you doing? Pick a team. She goes, You're, you should just be doing your thing. Just do stand up. Don't do anything else and see if that makes a difference and I was like oh you don't know what you're talking about I'm mm. I don't you know like I know what I'm doing just leave me leave me to it anyway she was completely right um but you know I had to wait like three or four years before I actually took any sort of action but once I made that decision it was the end of 2008 beginning of 2009 that that's all I was going to do yeah. and I basically had to start from scratch from the beginning and had to eat a lot of shit basically <laughs> So play I, a lot of gigs that were... Oh, horrible. that I were just awful. Mm. And I did it and it was hard. How long did you do it for? Before I sort of started to break yeah. through again. Yeah. Uh, um, probably about solidly just eating shit three years. Oh my God. That is yeah. some serious stamina. Yeah. Just doing gigs for basically either no money enough money to cover my petrol so living hand to mouth basically so when people didn't pay me I was like oh my god if you don't pay me I haven't got the petrol to go to this gig you can't pay me mate yeah I did a lot of couch surfing but then finally by about 2011 2012 it started to like I started to break in to the club circuit and then once I started to break in then I got some momentum and then I just went hell for leather and that's all I did Mm. I didn't go, like, if there was a party, I didn't go to it. If it was a wedding, I didn't go to it. If there was a thing, I was like, you know, people were like, you're going to do that, a gig for 50 quid. I'm like, yeah, I've got to do that. I've got to do that gig. And yeah. I did that relentlessly. And I did it for, like, I don't know, nearly 10 years. Wow. And then I got a break. So in 2017, I got a break at Live at the Apollo. Which is the kind of holy grail, right? That's like, once you get that, it it it, it feels like a measure of success. Y- yeah, it, it did. And, and for me, I was like, if I'm going to go on Live of the Apollo, I'm going to smash it. Yeah. I'm going to be the best I can be, mm. you know, whatever I've got. And of course, I've got so many years of experience. I had so much material to choose from. That gig was, was so important to me. And I, and I like, you know, I was worked really hard up towards it. I worked so hard, I actually got pneumonia. <laughs> oh, no, Jen. I had, yeah, I had pneumonia while I was doing it. Um <laughs> I've got really if you listen to the first Apollo that I do my voice is quite deep and husky I had a lot of comments going wow your voice is really sexy I was like that's because one of my lungs was filled with fluid but thank you so I don't really remember doing it because it was adrenaline yeah because up until I got called on stage I was hacking cough coughing 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 and the floor manager said to me are you gonna be able to do this and I went yeah I'm gonna be fine he went it's because your cough is really bad I was like no 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 I'll be fine and then I did my 20 minutes on stage, got off. And, and 20 minutes, absolutely fine, no coughing at all. Got off, was like, oh <coughs> just God. immediately started coughing again. And then, um, yeah, I was in bed for two weeks. Oh, my God. Did it, did it do the job? <laughs> did it do what you needed it to do? Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's yeah. still up online. You know, that was one of the first things I saw. Yeah, um, it's still it's still yeah, there, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. Di- it did. It created a, I think, a break in my 
trajectory as a comedian. The whole time before making that decision to just do stand-up, I think I spent a lot of time looking at what other people were doing and comparing myself to them Mm. and saying, oh, I'm not as good as them or I'll never get to do that or, you know, doing a bit of a woe is me or no one wants me to do stand-up and... And it was really friends of mine who went, can you just stop whinging? Do you want to do it? Just shut up and do it. And that's that's all there is. There's just the doing. Stop the talking and just do the doing. So your mum all the way through this sounds amazing. She sounds like the most supportive mother and um, someone who really was into you being you. Yeah, yeah. She, she came to both... Um, Sorry. Oh, when did she pass, Jen? April. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. No, no. Don't be sorry. It's fine. How old um, was she? Uh, she was 76. Right. So, she, but, but it was just because she died uh, very suddenly. Right. And I think the thing I find talking about my mum now, it's, it's quite weird, actually, because when she first died, yeah, I found talking about her... F- I found it really easy to talk about her. Yeah. You know, even for like this first sort of few months after her death, I found I really wanted to talk about her. I found it incredibly cathartic and I mm. I I needed to talk about her and it and it wouldn't upset me. But now I suppose you know, coming up to a year when you know, as as it's coming up to the anniversary of her death, I just find it Yeah, I guess it's when someone dies shortly after well it's you only saw them a short while ago so it doesn't feel like such a big gap and as that gap gets longer and longer you you do think oh like no I'm actually not going to see you again yeah 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 (laughs) but but yes to answer your question she was she was fantastic in that in that respect I mean don't get me wrong we argued all the time because we're very similar and you talked about her a lot on stage right I did because she was you know such an important person in my life Mm. And I suppose, in my mind, it was a celebration of her. And I, I suppose now it's quite nice because it kind of, I've, you know, unwittingly memorialised her forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in I mean, these jokes, yeah. you know, so so that's quite, quite nice. But yeah, she's she's always been, she was always very weirdly supportive of me doing a job with absolutely no... <laughs> Yeah, prospects. <laughs> With absolutely no prospects yeah. and no um, job security and financial security. But she, I think she understood that it was something I I, I needed to do. Yeah. She had a much clearer vision of how I should get there than I did. Yeah, I guess maybe sometimes when you're zoomed out from something, it's easier to see. You know, like you're so in yeah. it. You're so like embroiled in everything. To have her perspective was so valuable. It was. And annoyingly nah, you know gave me really good advice that I actively ignored over and over again yeah. and had I taken her advice a lot sooner it would have I would have really uh, made my life a lot easier but that is my way what was she like in terms of your personal life did she give you advice with regards to your love life as well and well my parents didn't have a happy marriage so I think her advice to me mm. particularly before I came out mm. of the closet was to say get your own bank account, <laughs> get yourself a career, Great advice, yeah. get yourself financial security, get yourself independence and agency, never rely on anyone, always rely on yourself, yeah. never rely specifically, her advice when I was a 
child was never rely on a man, but I never had to worry about that. Yeah. Even, even when she was saying it to me, I was like, I don't think I'm going to have to worry about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so her advice was always was always like very practical. She was very practical. She, I suppose you would say she's quite an unromantic person, which mm. which when you're growing up, you're like, come on, mum, there are good things that can happen to people. Yeah. And she's like, no, the world is crap. <laughs> um, so in that regard, it's like she's quite Catholic, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of it's kind of like drummed into your head from early on, isn't it? The, in Catholicism, just this sense of yeah, doom. life is yeah. <laughs> like sometimes she'd say, you know, Jennifer, life is not is supposed to be fun, and I was like, I think it is. <laughs> I literally heard the coming from the complete opposite perspective. Yeah, I think all I'm I want to do is laugh it. and make people laugh, Mom. I just yeah, I'm yeah. In, I'm into the fun side. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna do the fun bit. Yeah, but yeah, she she like I said. It wasn't a perfect relationship out by any stretch of the imagination, mm. but there was a lot of love there. And she did give really good advice, partic- well, to all of her children, actually, but yeah. particularly, uh, you know, t- to me, she understood how, seemed to understand how the system worked and how the business worked and what I was doing wrong in a way that I now find quite sort of, strange i'm like i don't know how she it's understood like, how maybe, everything worked uh, who knows yeah. yeah now that she's gone i've i'm i'm gradually as every year goes by i guess i'll i'll be making her in, i'll be canonizing her yeah. and by the time like you speak to me in 10 years time she'll be a saint we'll have a halo. <laughs> i've spoken to a lot of people about grief on this podcast and the most kind of resounding thing is just the changing nature of it you know like you said like it grows with you you know, I don't think I don't think there's like one nice neat box you can put it into and be like, this is grief and this is how it feels and this is how I will exactly. experience it. It's just yeah. ever ever changing. It is ever changing, and and in, there's comfort in that. Yeah, yeah. You know, t- to know that however you feel now, you you might not feel that in an hour. Yeah. You might not feel that tomorrow. But also the other the downside of it is you don't know it blindsides you. Yes, of course. Yeah, you can't control when it's going to come and go. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, you can put it in a box, but you can't, you can only press the lid down for so long and it will come out. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So you've kind of cited your mom dying as a huge change, obviously, in your adulthood. Let's talk about the other thing that you mentioned, which was your children and having children, becoming a parent. 
a non-biological parent, as you call it, which yeah. I love when you compare it to various washing detergents on stage. <laughs> so your kids are seven now, am I right? They're eight. Yeah, they're eight. They're eight. They're right. eight now, yeah. How are they? How's parenting now as an other mother, as you call yourself, of eight-year-olds? Um, parenting now is uh, is great. I mean, like a big chunk of my stand-up now is me moaning about my children. So I think people sometimes, I don't like, don't yeah. call social services. It's fine. Yeah. This is just cathartic. I do like it's just them, jokes. Really. Yeah. I, I love my children, yeah. um, but they can mm. be annoying. But this this age is really fun and they are... Their own identities are becoming a little bit more pronounced. And although who they were as people was always there, but I guess mm. I'm more self-aware of who they are within the school, within their friendships. Mm. You know, that's quite sad because they understand that there's certain parts of their personality or parts of who they are that they have to hide because there might be some shame or embarrassment attached to. Like one of my sons, he, you know, his favourite colour is pink. I mean, yeah. it's pink. Fair. And it always has been pink. And mm. more recently, it's now green. My and kid it, had the exact same thing. His favourite colour was pink all the way up to school. And then he got to school and he's like, oh, no, I, no, no it's not pink anymore. You're like, come yeah. on. Isn't that sad, though? It's so sad. I find that really, really sad. And I don't think that's coming from the teachers. I think that's coming from the other pupils. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. And, you know, we we deliberately moved to Brighton for the kids. So, so like. that's a big move. As a London girl, like, how yeah. was that moving from London to Brighton? Well, I had really tried to delay it for as long as possible because I'm like, you know, being from London, I'm like a typical Londoner where I'm like, mm. there is nowhere better than this city. I'm yeah. so sorry to everywhere else in the country, yeah. but... London is the best place to live. Yeah. And then I moved to Brighton and I went, 100%, there's loads of places better than London. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, like there's that realisation, like, actually I can be out of London and I can be happy. And I think as soon as we moved down, we moved in 2014, just before the boys were born. Mm. As soon as we moved, we knew we'd made the right decision. We were like, wow, why didn't we come here when we didn't have kids and, and could have enjoyed <laughs> could have enjoyed it? We've been living in North London for years. We're like, you know, we'd be excited if there was an, an Aldi was moving in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We're like, wow. Um, moving again was this new change, this new break. Almost mm. like starting a new life, which mm. is for me, I like doing that. I sort of find it very rejuvenating to sort of like almost draw a line under what I've been doing and then go, right, this is a new chapter. So whatever, mm. whatever has happened before is, is an old chapter and I don't worry about that. I'm just, this is new yeah. and we're just looking forward. And that, again was a, another break in my career when my children were born was I was so tired I was you know coming home late at night and then having to stay up with the children because Chloe had had a cesarean couldn't get up they didn't they, they did not sleep so um oh god I so turn up to, I turned up to gigs I and mean, I've got friends of mine going I remember when the kids were babies and you turned up and you I was like I don't remember that I don't remember yeah, you it's gone that's gone. that's gone. Yeah. But what it did mean was that when I was on stage, uh, I was completely myself oh, because I, I wasn't you say like to delirious. Well, <laughs> like I totally do lally. <laughs> I was totally do lally. I wasn't. Yeah. I was like completely, almost like detached from reality. And so my, I guess my, people were like, "God, you've gone up a level." And I was like, yeah. well, "That's because <laughs> I'm not analyzing what I'm doing. I'm just yeah, you're not overthinking it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not overthinking it. And so I started to evolve." you know, gradually, it didn't happen overnight, but 
yeah I think it's my mad. kids I love that I love that kind of like if you think about because I was going to ask you like how have your children changed you what I meant in that question was your you personally like who you are as a person but there is an element to how they change on a very pragmatic level how you do your job like we interviewed Roddy Doyle the writer on this podcast and he was talking about when his kids were small he used to just he had to change the way he wrote because he couldn't write long you know he had to write in small excerpts oh, he had yeah. to write short chunky bits of writing and that changed the whole kind of form of his novel writing and it's probably the same as you you know in that your state of mind meant that your comedy wasn't overthought and thus like got to a higher level it's so interesting isn't it that aspect yeah I remember having a conversation with Shappi Corsandi and she said to me when your children are born everything's going to change for you. Your career is going to go up. And I was like thinking, I don't really see the correlation of that. Yeah. And she was like, because you, all the things that you think are important, they're not important anymore. And that is so true. As soon as my children were born, I couldn't spend all this time being the self-involved bellend I'd been up until that point because I had to now, there were two people that were more important than me and Mm. I had to look after them and so everything that I did was about was for them you know Mm. all the decisions I was making about what I wanted to do and how long I wanted to be away I I wasn't going to go and do those shows where I went away for a month at a time I was going to just because I wanted to be with my children it's so boring isn't it god it's so boring when (laughs) people talk about their children Christ I I love I'm like as I can as I'm talking I'm like oh god who cares I mean I can but, just hear but, people flat but, but, it, but, it, but it is it's I mean it's boring but it's fucking universal like it's I think it's okay to talk about it as long as the person in question is willing to talk about it like <laughs> I don't want to force people to talk about their kids especially women you know yeah but you do talk about them a lot on stage I you do. Know, that, as you I'm, say it's part of your identity it's part of who you are now yeah and that and that irrevocable change is yeah. has been really positive and I know it's really hard to tell that, that it's been positive for my stand-up but I genuinely Annie it has and I I feel like my kids are the best thing that's ever happened to me yeah being the non-biological mum I suppose not having a genetic you know I'm not genetically related to my children as you know and I'm sure there are parents you know who are the same as me or have adopted course, children yeah. will feel the same that like I have no idea I've never carried a child I don't know what it's like to give birth I mm. think it it looks dreadful, but I, um, you know, and I thought not having that experience will that limit my love? Will that act as a barrier? Will that, yeah, you know, and and of course, you know, it doesn't. But you have these sort of neurosis before your babies, before your children arrive, and then they come, and you're like, oh my god, yeah, of course, of course, I love you. This is crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And you have boys, um, two boys. How did you feel when you found out you were having boys? And tell me about some of what you learned with regards to people's attitudes to boys versus girls when Chloe, your partner, got pregnant. Um, Well, when we found out we were having two boys, I can only say that I was hugely disappointed. Right. (laughs) I love the honesty. I was like gutted. Mm. I was like, what, we're not but Jen, going I mean, to have a, a daughter? But Jen, there was a 50% chance that you were going to have boys. Like, you must have I mean... been mentally prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, you'd think, there are you? the human race. I mean, look, honestly, I thought, we're having two. Come on. One of them's got to be a girl, At least right? one of each, yeah, yeah. And also, because one of them, when we went for the scan, one of them had 
we could only see his back in the scan. Mm. So the when when they were doing the scan, they were like, oh, well, well, you know, when they t- when it turns around, we'll be able to know. But at the moment, it could be a girl, could be a girl, but you've definitely right. Got one boy, so you had that question mark, yeah. So we were like. <gasps> Oh my gosh, if we got a girl, what's the girl's name going to be? Anyway, we've got two boys. Um, and initially, look, yeah, I'm honestly saying I was a bit disappointed. Yeah. And because I desperately, in my head, thought I wanted a girl. Mm. Now that my children are born, I don't care. Of course not. Yeah. You know, you, you just yeah. want two healthy children, don't you? Mm. But when my, when Chloe was pregnant, I can't even remember where, what the situation was. I think we were um, picking a builder for it to, to help do our house up and he took us around someone's house and went this is my work and did a learn we met the woman and she went oh hi oh you're pregnant you know because mm. she was and then asked chloe oh, do you know if, what you're having are you having boys or girls and chloe went oh we're gonna have we're having two boys and she was like oh my god that is so incredible you're so lucky oh my goodness boys are so brilliant they're amazing they're the best that i've got you know i've got one of each i've got a boy and a girl but the girl she is a fucking nightmare but the, my son i adore him oh my god they're so boys are better so you're lucky you've got two boys because they're so much better than girls and I remember standing there looking at Chloe going is she for real <laughs> is this a real conversation is this as women is this is this how we refer to our daughters and and I've discovered that it's not a unique stance it no, wasn't that, that so many women when they're talking about their daughters are like ugh mm. god you're lucky you're not having girls they're a bloody nightmare I tell you what I can't wait till she pisses off and and then I think back to what I was like when I was a teenager and I know I was more difficult than my brothers because my mum told me I was more difficult right. than my brothers but I think there's something about young women for a lot of young girls there is something driving us I hate that word difficult as well it, it's so annoying because it kind of just puts all of all of your complexities into this kind of negative exactly. box you're not difficult you're different you are you- different you're not pliant. You're not boys. Yeah. And isn't that a great thing? And God only knows what we what need young girls to know is that they mm. cannot be pliant, that they mm. have to be able to know that they can make decisions, that they have agency, that they are right in standing their ground for what they want. And it's you're absolutely right. It's not about being difficult. It's about the fact that often girls have got more than one thought going on in their head yeah. at the time. Like my, my sons, bless them. Bless them. One thought at a time. I need a poo. I'm tired. I'm hungry. Can I have a cuddle? And that's it. One thought at a time. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and so it is easy, you know, to manipulate them. Here's a question. Have you and Chloe had the discussion of how you were going to speak to your boys about porn as a mother of two boys this is my biggest conundrum how do I talk to you about porn because it's going to be thrust in front of your face probably when you're about 10 in the playground on someone else's phone like I know so it's like it's and it's terrifying when you see that so it's like how do you normalize it because it's everywhere but also try and convey the horrific aspects of it whilst also not scaring the bejesus out of them about <laughs> masturbation. You know what I mean? It, there's, it's so it's so complex. It is complex. And I think the only way to have these conversations with your children is to um, not attach any shame to it. There's too, yes. too much shame attached shame. To, to, to children's sexuality because we, we conflate children's sexuality with, I don't know, something horrendous like, you know, predatory 
behavior mm. by adults on children but children have a sexuality and we all know that we were all teenagers we mm. weren't all just thinking about you know quadratic equations we were like yeah. masturbating yeah. and talking yeah. to each other about sex and doing stuff with our mm. bodies either to ourselves or to each other you know mm. and as parents that's really hard to reconcile and I think there's a little bit of us that goes well my kids probably won't be sexually active until they're 27 you know when actually we might find out that our children lost their virginity at 14 and then that's like oh my god and I haven't even spoken to them about sex yeah yeah so I think we we need to Chloe and I've talked about it we already have a conversation about where babies come from and all of that because we've had to explain (laughs) why they've got two mums so we've had that conversation about how babies are born and how they were born and how they were conceived And I think we will talk to them about their sexuality. We've talked to them about consent and how it's important that they know that they can say no and that their bodies Mm. are special and Mm. no one is allowed to touch their body apart from them. Mm -hmm. And I think we will get to a point where we, you know, in a year or so, where we will talk to our children and go, you're going to see things, you're going to see videos of people, um, you know, having sex. And what you need to know is that this isn't necessarily what, what sex or sexuality is pornography is not the same as two people in a loving relationship so you know what I'm trying to say is if you end up with a girlfriend and that is what you end up with don't mm. try and stick your dick in her ear because you won't mm. like it you yeah. know maybe it's like it's looking at it like theatre it's like saying to them like you just look at it like it's some sort of kind of exaggerated theater- theatrical performance of that is not I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. Well, I think, I think you know, there's a little bit of me that wants to, like, put porn on the telly and go, right, sit down. We're going to go through this together. Right, you see oh, what he's doing God, here? Oh, God, Jen. You see what he's no. doing here? She does not like that. Not in her face. Now, don't choke a woman. She's not into it. I mean, I don't... Look, I mean, I'm just spitballing. Oh, but look, the, the, the whole thing is that some of the images that boys are seeing are so horrendous and that they think that that's what they should do to girls and girls think that that's what they should allow boys to do Mm. and somewhere along the line we gotta just go this is disgusting yeah (laughs) this is absolutely disgusting and this isn't anything to do with this isn't sex this is something else Mm. pornography Mm. and sex are sometimes i think are not even this they've now become so kind of they're like split apart in, in much the same way that we used to refer to rape as sex. Mm. You know, it's like rape is rape. Rape is, well, mm. when he had, when he, you know, because they had sex, it was like, no, rape is an act of violence. Mm. And some pornography is is violent and is often about dehumanising one yeah. somebody. Yeah. So, and I don't have the answer, but I'm willing to like really scare the shit out of them so that yeah. they know. <laughs> To have that conversation. And because, you know, we have had a bit of a swing to in the other direction post Me Too, where all we do is talk about toxic masculinity and how men are bastards. Yeah. So we've left this space for people like Andrew Tate to fill and go, mm. I'm going to tell you what masculinity is. And it's like, no. Mm. So we as parents have to try to say, what are the positives of being a boy or growing up to be a man? So many. But I tell you what isn't positive is violence against women. And that doesn't make you a strong man. It makes you a very weak, weak, mm. weak man. Mm. God, it's such a fucking mind. Answers on a postcard if anyone yeah. has any better ideas. Both, both, both of us, please. I, I would, I mean, it sounds like you're more, you've thought it through more than me. How old are um, your kids? Nine and six. Nine and six. I guess so, right. Okay, so we're quite similar then in yeah. kids' age. Yeah, and I've yeah. had I've had the chat with the nine-year-old. Like Have I just, you? I, just, I decided that I didn't want him finding stuff out in the playground. Like, he's one of these kids, he likes to know where he stands. 
you know, and I respect that. So I was just like, listen, you know, this is how sex, this is what happens in sex. Um, I didn't go into a lot of detail, but I said, if you, if, if anyone says otherwise, they're lying. That's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, um, we ended up talking about condoms because he was like, well, if everyone has sex and I said, sometimes people just do it for fun. He's like, well, if everyone does it for fun, then why is, you know, what, don't, don't they just make babies? And I was like, no, because there's this stuff called condoms or, or pill. <laughs> and then we ended up talking about condoms and just how gross they were. And like, he was like, oh, that sounds disgusting. And then we just got into like a proper like, <laughs> condoms. And it was kind of fun. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I was glad I spoke to him about it because um, I think knowledge is power in those scenarios. It's like if he, you know, if he knows that stuff, it doesn't feel as scary, you know? Yeah, I agree. I th Okay, so... Maybe, yeah, so nine seems like a good age. Yeah, and, you know, it, they're all chatting about it in school. I mean, they haven't got quite a, you know, they're still young where they think, you know, they don't quite know what goes no. on. No, and, um, and I'm grateful for that. Which is lovely, yeah, because they haven't seen anything yet. But um, Fingers crossed. It's, it's not, it won't be long. don't know how you feel about this, but I don't think I'm going to let my kids have a phone. Now, here we say, Jen. Like, okay, is, I okay know. you are the yeah. most... <laughs> Listen, every parent. Oh no, I'm not gonna have let them. Know. <laughs> Maybe when they're 15, everyone gets a phone at secondary school. That's just how it is. It's like everyone. But and surely, you, do you want to be the the mom with the only kid in class without a mobile phone? I, I'm willing to, to yeah, try. No, I am too. I'm that's what I keep, try. and I've told I've told my kid. I said you're going to be the only one in the class, and that's fine. That's I, and he's I, like, oh. but, I mean, my kids have already said so. Thirteen, we get a phone, yeah. And I'm like, I don't know where you've got this random arbitrary <laughs> number of thirteen is when you're going to get a phone, but you made that up because I've never said that. Oh, but I all like, of my friends I like their style. And all of my friends, all of my friends are getting a phone at thirteen. I went well. Um, you can always move in with them and uh, see if well, their parents. What you are have to hope, Jen, is that by the time they're thirteen, and this is what I'm clinging on to, there'll be some sort of new trend just to be off grid. Like being online will not be a thing. Like there's yes. this group of kids in New York, right? And they only use flip phones. They don't use smartphones, and right. they do it deliberately. And I think, I think I'm I'm all for my kid having a phone and being contactable, and even being able to text their friends and stuff. You know, but let's bring back Blackberries. No I'm into more, it. <laughs> no more what, no WhatsApp for them. WhatsApp's fucking lethal. No, you get brought into these big groups. You get slagged off. You get it's just horrific. So I just I think exactly. I don't want my kids to be. It's. I just remember being a teenager was tough. It was God, tough. It's tough enough. I, it's hard being a teenager and I would never want to go back there. Let alone yeah. being bullied because you've got a monobrow, which I did. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank God that there was no f social media. Like I, I am, I, and you will be too, like the, the last generation to grow up without a mobile phone. Like I got my mobile when I was 19. I mean, it was obviously way pre-smartphone, but it was like, it was a mobile nonetheless. But yeah. I managed to get all the way up to that point without that. And that was, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I lived through that yeah. time. I was 24 when I got my first mobile phone. And because I resisted it, because everyone yeah. got one. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm a cool cat and I'm not having yeah. a mobile. And then very soon realized that actually I couldn't communicate with anyone without one. Yeah. But the insanity is now that I can't leave a room without my phone on me. Yeah. I mean, it's so gross. See, we are the worst because Disgusting. we're telling our kids don't have phones whilst we're looking up from our phone. Oh, you're not going to phone you 13. Anyway, <laughs> what was I doing on my, on my timeline? 
look, I, I, I totally uh, can see that there is a great deal of hypocrisy attached to that, but I'm, I, I'm. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm with I'm, you on your fight. I, okay, I, well, look, I, I really am. I really wish you. Like, I let's hope. reconnect in four years. And yeah, you, you, you tell to. me how you're getting on. Jen, and before I let you go, what change would you still like to make moving forwards in your life? I mean, we've already learned that you love a nice clean break. We lo- You like a clean slate. What change would you still like to make? Well, sometimes I feel so overwhelmed by all the dreadful things that are going on. I'm like, which way to turn? Which What, what to yeah. look at? What to invest my time in? Who, how to help? How to be, mm. you know, how to leave a good footprint behind when I when I'm dead you know and I think more and more with my stand-up comedy I would like to be able to tackle things that I feel really passionate about that I feel are really important that I feel are uh, necessary and relevant and make those things funny because fundamentally that's what I am as a stand-up comedian so if I can't make it funny I'm not going to talk about it as a comedian I haven't figured out quite how to do that in a sophisticated mm. way yeah. uh, rather than just a big broad strokes of me screaming into a bin which is why my usual way and that's what excites me about comedy is that you can always get better yeah you, you never can, stop learning yeah you never stop learning I, I feel mm. like I'm not even a third of the way through my trajectory of how you know of how where so I want exciting. to be yeah 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 so that's why I, I love stand-up so that's where I'd like to be. And look, I'm not saying stand-up doesn't change anything. It's not going to change anyone's mind. It's not going to... I, I, I disagree. It, it, Do you I think? think it, I think it really can change people's minds. I don't it, know. And in the, it, it's so clever in that it, I think laughing is a very powerful thing. And I, I don't know. I think, I think definitely it can. I think you have the power to change people's minds 100%. Well, I mean, maybe. I'm not convinced by that. I think what it does... Is yeah. that it allows people who have the same views and opinions as you to be in a room and not feel alone and mm-hmm. to feel energised by somebody tackling things that they agree with or that they feel frustrated about. But if by some freak occurrence mm-hmm. it might change one person's mind and that's incredible, then that would be, that's beyond my expectation. Mm-hmm. My expectation is to be able to invite people to come and see me and for all of us to have this cathartic experience where we may even figure out a way to make things better or whatever mm. it is, but we do it in a room, we do it together. And that's the best I can expect. Or for me to be able to figure out a way to do it or for someone to contact me saying, I saw your show. If you want to help, here's something you can do or whatever it is. Yeah. That's kind of what I would like my stand up to be. At the moment, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm still in that point in my, in my time of my life with my children where that's that's predominantly all I see and all I do and all I have but that will pass you know and Mm -hmm. as they enter into secondary school and adolescence I will I know that will be the start of a new chapter and of a new direction for me as a comic and I'm excited about that yeah I'm excited too (laughs) thanks can't wait um hey Jen thank you so much thank you so much it's been an absolute blinking pleasure to be on your brilliant podcast so thank you Thank you so much to Jen Brister. What a woman. The Optimist is on tour now. We'll put a link in the show notes for tickets. She's just put on another date at London's Alexandra Palace. That's a 10,000 capacity venue, by the way. So it really just goes to show you how popular she's becoming. I think there's tickets still available for that. Her book, The Other Mother, is also out now. Very fun and good read. And do please feel free to share this amongst all your friends and family, anyone who's a parent, anyone you think who would relate and get something 
anything from that conversation. Uh, Rate us, review us, subscribe to us. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to be releasing another episode next Monday, of course. Changes is produced by Louise Mason through DIN Productions. Thanks and see ya. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.